welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. I'm so happy you're here. Today, we are talking about Superman, the 1978 Richard Donner classic. We're talking about it with our great friend, Fangirl Jean. I am one of your hosts, Alex Steed. I'll soon be joined by my wonderful co-host, Sarah Marshall. Before we get into it, I just want to let you know that if you're listening on our main feed, if you're not listening on uh, Patreon or using your Apple Plus subscription, you are hearing an hour-long version of this episode, or just about an hour, like the rest of our episodes. It's about an hour long. But we had a fantastic conversation with Gene. It ran long. And if you're listening on Patreon or you're listening at uh, using the Apple Plus subscription service, uh, you are hearing a longer version of this chat. You're hearing the director's cut of this chat. We haven't done this yet, but we had just such a glorious, long form conversation with Gene as we always do. And we wanted to share that with you. And so again, if you're listening via Patreon or you're listening via Apple subscriptions, it's going to be going to be a longer one. So thank you so much for supporting us there. We really appreciate it. And there's also going to be a bonus episode this month, a little bit later in August. Uh, So you get two bonuses this month. Thank you for your support at Patreon and on Apple subscriptions. It pays our staff to make the show and our staff are all artists. So (laughs) you're supporting the arts on multiple levels and we appreciate that and we appreciate you. You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies is also made possible with support by Knack Factory, K-N-A-C-K Factory, a commercial video content production company with offices in Portland, Maine, though they do work throughout these here United States. If you need that sort of work done, get in touch with the fine folks at Knack Factory. And finally, we offer a playlist with each of our episodes. You can find that in the show notes. These are songs that are inspired by our conversation about the movie as much as they are inspired by the movie itself. Look for that in the show notes. This episode is brought to you by Inked Gaming, which is a trusted one-stop shop for those who seek premium goods specifically crafted by gamers for gamers. Inked Gaming knows our audience, (laughs) knows that folks who listen to You Are Good talk about gaming on Twitter and on Instagram and on uh, Discord. So, uh, you know, they want you to know about their products and services. They're right about what your interests are. (laughs) Inked Gaming's growing collection of goods includes everything from premium playmats to mouse pads, all of which are designed to help you level up your gaming setup. Creative expression is one of Inked Gaming's key values, and they show it by providing an entire collection of customizable gear that's waiting for your own unique designs. They've been on this journey since 2011, and if they stay on this course by giving their customers and fellow gamers what they want, they say they'll be here until 2111. So do you have a big game night battle coming up? If so, you want to go check out InkedGaming.com and stock up on some of their fresh supplies for their favorite games. Inked Gaming is both a friend and sponsor of ours that's been in the business of providing premium quality gaming goods since 2011. They have a massive collection of playmats, mouse pads, and more, which can be made to feature both custom and pre-designed artwork. So... If you feel like showing off your own personalized pattern, character, creature, or call sign during a game or a stream, Team Inked will be happy to help. Or if you don't have your own design already created, the artists behind Inked Gaming's pre-designed goods are some of the most talented in the world and receive a commission for items sold with their work printed on them. So you can support artists by uh, engaging with Inked Gaming as well. There's a 10% off discount waiting for you at inkedgaming.com slash you are good. Again, inkedgaming.com slash you are good. All you have to do is pick and or personalize the gear that you need for your favorite game. Use that promo code. You are good at checkout and the discount will automatically apply to your order. Thank you so much to the fine folks at Inked Gaming. All right, Superman, 1978 superhero film based on the character by DC Comics, of course. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. This movie was written by Mario Puzo from a story by Puzo. It's the first installment of the Superman film series. It's directed by Richard Donner. The film features an ensemble cast, including Marlon Brando, Gene Hackman, Christopher Reeve, 
Jeff East, Margot Kidder, Glenn Ford. Just the list goes on. Many, many fine folks. Valerie Perrine, Ned Beatty, Terrence Stamp. It's excellent. We talk about why this is uh, Gene's favorite movie. I love this conversation. I love any conversation with Gene. I'm so happy we are sharing it with you. Whether you're listening to the standard length episode on the main feed or the longer version uh, where we house all of our bonus content, you're in for a fun ride. So thank you so much for being here with us. How are you doing? Are you following us on Instagram? Are you following us on Twitter? Are you letting us know how you're doing in these places? Are you sending recommendations for movies we should consider or topics for bonus episodes? Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You, my friend, are good. Thank you so much for joining us here. We appreciate you so much. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's fangirl Jean and Sarah and me fangirling about fangirl Jean. <laughs> <laughs> Being here. Ah, we're so lucky. Let's do it. All right. Well, hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Teed. I have no Superman reference to put in here, but we're covering Superman. <laughs> we're talking about Superman. <laughs> I'm really, I'm super uh, excited to cover this. <laughs> I haven't seen this movie for so, so long. And we had planned... With our delightful repeat guest, who has mentioned a burning love for this movie uh, in the past. We, we had planned for at least, I think, like seven or eight months to potentially cover the movie Logan, hmm. which felt like a good like summertime thing to do. Mm -hmm. And then when it came down to it, I think Superman came across your brain, Sarah, maybe. And we were, mm -hmm. we said to fangirl Jean, is it going to be Logan or, and it could be Logan in the future, or is it going to be Superman? And Jean, you said that this was a hard decision. <gasps> Precisely. I said, which Superman movie? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a fair question. Right. And then you said 78 and I was like, Oh, you mentioned that Sarah came from. I was like, oh, Sarah knows my heart. <laughs> this is a foundational movie for me. So this is also a foundational movie for uh, literally hundreds of movies that would come after <laughs> right? it. And I didn't I didn't re I truly didn't like this is a movie that I watched so much as a kid, but I only just remember the chunks where Superman's doing stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that is only like maybe one quarter of the movie. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize like how much is here. So this is extraordinarily exciting. Sarah, before we do all that, mm -hmm. what do you think about letting people know what happens in Superman and what it's all about? Okay. All right. So Superman was born Kal-El on the planet Krypton and his dad, played by Marlon Brando in this movie, coming back from a career low, I believe, <laughs> is like, hey, everybody, we need to vacate this planet. It's going to be consumed by the sun. And everyone is like, no, thank you. We don't care. And so Jor-El is smart enough to put his beloved little son on... Across space jamboree, basically, and he sends him to a safe planet and he arrives there when he's three years old and he's been getting Zoom preschool with Marlon Brando <laughs> and he lands in Smallville, Kansas, where he's discovered by the Kents a careworn couple of the planes who raise him as their own after he lifts up their car. <laughs> <laughs> and then I mean it really this is like a solid origin movie and I also when we get into you know the stew talk about where this was in Superman's lifespan because I believe Superman had existed for 40 years when this movie came out so it was like I think there was a sense of like we have to show that this isn't like old timey Superman. This is a new relevant Superman of the 70s. <laughs> and just like how long yeah. Superman has been old. And of course, Batman also because they're twins or something. And so Superman leaves Smallville after his father dies and he finds a crystal from the crash site that brought him to Earth. And he goes to the Arctic and constructs his Fortress of Solitude where he essentially gets a PhD in being Superman, um, which I think is why he then comes to Metropolis saying things like swell, because he hasn't lived among humans for 10 years. 
I mean, he's also a farm boy, you know. So, yeah, you know. right. So he would have been saying swell a lot to begin with. He's kind of Superman is kind of like Sandy from Greece, which is really great. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> and so then he comes to Metropolis. He gets a job at the Daily Planet where he's going to work as a reporter. And he immediately meets the wonderful Lois Lane, played by the wonderful Margot Kidder, who's like a raspy voice woman of today. And sparks fly immediately. And then he unveils himself as Superman because he needs to rescue her from a helicopter accident. And then he goes around solving problems that evening and kind of has his opening moment as Superman. And one of the things we see here, which I think is kind of the most endearing thing about Superman, is that no job is too small. He'll save the president. He'll save your cat. Yeah. He doesn't care. <laughs> He's kind of like how I imagine it used to imagine like Santa Claus operates. Like I can't tell like if he's just doing this all at the same time right. as well. Like it's just he's he's just making shit happen. He's yeah. a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> he's listening to nine to five. He's like, you know it, Dolly. <laughs> and then the climax of this movie is that the criminal mastermind Lex, Lu is it Luther or Luthor? I, I think it's Luthor because it's an okay. O-R. So I think that's yes. been like a consistent pronunciation. Yeah. Okay, good. This is like there's a constant issue with people not from Maine mm. who refer to the town of Bangor as, for some reason, Bangor, even though it has oh, really? an O-R at the end. I have done this in the past. I'm very sorry. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's a big one. You know when someone's not from the area when they give you a Bangor. But... At the same time, I always figured it was Luther, but this movie really puts the emphasis on or on uh, Lex Luther. Yeah. Or. And also that's how Jerry Seinfeld says it. So you have to assume. You have to assume. Yeah. So Lex Luthor, played by Gene Hackman, who Alex, you were just texting me how much you love Gene Hackman. Just a genius. A genius, if you a will. <laughs> I will. The greatest criminal mind. <laughs> <laughs> He'll let you know. <laughs> He's a human Radigan. Yeah. And, and just like all the Lex Luthor, it's like the former Grand Central Terminal, basically, like for Metropolis, I would say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he lives there with his girlfriend, Miss Tessmacher, played by Valerie Perrine of Lenny and Can't Stop the Music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, his lackey, Otis, played by Ned Beatty. And he decides that he is going to incapacitate Superman because after Lois does an article on Superman, he figures out that he can render Superman powerless with a portion of his own planet, Krypton, which is an incredible thing to deduce. I think maybe he isn't overrating his abilities. No, no, absolutely. Like he calculates the location of Krypton and then figures out that there was a supernova explosion and that likely meteorites from that planet landed in a certain spot on Earth. So, I mean, fair. I mean, he figures all that out and Jor-El only knows that there are 27 galaxies. So I think like, you know, Luthor is doing some good work, right. all things considered. So who's the daddy? And he has great personal style. He has a ton of wigs, like the whole Luthor <laughs> lifestyle is just fun to look at. Like the action parts of this movie are are great, but I also think... It's successful for me because they guess like daily life parts are so pronounced. Mm -hmm. And so basically Lex Luthor has a master plan that he's going to launch nuclear missiles into the San Andreas fault question mark. And yes. <laughs> OK. And he is going to essentially shear off the entire West Coast and create new waterfront and he will then become rich which is very embarrassing that a criminal mastermind would have that goal in the end but also prescient fear the real estate developers and so <laughs> right <laughs> yeah there's a whole speech about why real estate development is important to criminal masterminds by a proto donald trump uh -huh. and it is phenomenal <laughs> But like it would be so much more fun to live with Lex Luthor than Donald Trump. I yeah, have fair, to fair. Yeah. He even goes into talking about his like weirdly abusive magnate father. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, this is super on uh, super on the news. None of this was hard to see coming. It's not like we were like, yeah, maybe this 
guy will be well adjusted. Like with yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basically Superman has to save everybody and he is put in a classic Sunday school dilemma of choosing strangers versus the woman he loves. And then he misses the chance to save Lois Lane because he's saving everybody else and like saving towns from flooding and stuff. And so then to bring her back to life, he gets so upset that he circles around the earth enough times to turn back time. And the first time I saw this, I was a kid and I was like, I don't think that works that way, but like, I don't care. I accept. And that's still how I feel about it. And I'm excited to talk about that too. And then it ends with Lois Lane being like, poor Clark, he's never around when super... No, that's crazy. Okay, bye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Do we know, sorry to jump off like immediately on a technical question, but I feel it. like this is the thing that you would know, Jean. Did they have the second movie planned immediately after this? Yes, they were actually filming in tandem. They actually changed cool. this ending because initially, so there was actually two nuclear warheads. One was headed towards Hackensack, New Jersey, right. which is the right. first right. as a child. We're Luthor's mother-in-law. Right. <laughs> you can understand his motivation. Right. I mean, fair. <laughs> and then the other one headed towards the San Andreas Fault. And originally, mm. I believe that there's one warhead. We actually see him like guided off into space. And initially that was supposed to be what hits the Phantom Zone mirror spinner thing that has Zod and releases him initially mm. they was going to go right into that that's why the opening of the movie has zod but then like never pays it off until the second movie cool hey. got it got it yeah i figured it must have been because it seems like we were really set up for these guys to come back but now i'm eager to see the second movie yeah i actually saw this as a child in the theaters i was gonna say Back in the old days, before cable, uh, a lot of really popular movies would get rerun in the theaters. So, like, I saw Star Wars in the theater as a child, even though it came out before I was born. And I remember I saw this in 82, so I think it was seven. Mm. And it was a double feature with Superman and Superman 2. So, for the longest time, my memory is of seeing them back to back. I always thought the two of them were Superman 1 because of that continuity of Zod being in the beginning of the first film and then paying it off. And you're like, wow, that movie really loses energy. In right? The Very confusing. <laughs> oh my goodness. Where do we, Sarah, where, where should we begin? Well, I would love to begin by asking Jean my question about who is Superman and who was he by this point? You know, because I feel like he'd already been on the scene for forever. And I feel like he's still very distinct from other superheroes. But yeah, I guess who is Superman? What's his thing? Um, I would say that he is like the first superhero under that name. So like mm. his creators actually coined the phrase superhero when they were pitching huh. him. Huh. And he went through a lot of incarnations before we even got to this film. You know, he obviously famously had a radio show and then he also had uh, serials that were the precursors and inspirations for Indiana Jones, the little shorts that went on before films. And then he had a famous television show. And he went through a lot of incarnations, as did Lois, as did the whole cast. And I think like kind of the aim, he definitely started out as very much, you know, the typical comic book hero power fantasy for young boys to imagine, you know, not only being like the hero that could lift a car and smash it to save the woman, but also to be like a little bit more clever than Lois as well. Mm. We didn't get the Lois that I consider Lois in my heart and also influence on Margot Kidder's uh, Lois until His Girl's Friday with Catherine Hepburn, right? Mm. His Girl Friday was Rosalind Russell. No, it was Rosalind Russell. I know there, it yeah. was like, it was it, basically we got the smart talking, yeah. snappy dialogue, independent woman. Terrible spelling. Right, yes. like terrible spelling. That was <laughs> definitely the precursor. What I know this comes after, but Lois totally feels like Jennifer Jason Lee in the Hudsucker Proxy, who I think is totally yeah. like a pastiche of this character in 30s and 40s movies. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. All of the 
with her dialogue. Yeah, absolutely. So much so that there is often times that I forget that Lois in the films doesn't speak that way. Because in my head, that's the way she talks. <laughs> I'd stake my Pulitzer on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So like at this point, this was a time I think for me, like the looking at what Superman is at this point in 1978 is obviously Capitalism is commercial grab to do a big film adaptation. But I think mm-hmm. we see in the film itself, like kind of America coming out of like a really dark time. I mean, Metropolis is supposed to be Metropolis, but it's obviously New York City. And mm-hmm. if you know anything about what, you know, how harrowing the 70s were in America from like, you know, gas shortages to serial killers shooting people at night to rolling blackouts, it's a really dark time. And we can see that reflected in film at the time as well of like a lot of gritty, um, a lot of realistic film, which, you know, all is valid. But I definitely think that the time that it came was a time when people were ready to have something that was earnest Hmm. without being ironic. And there's so much that happens in here. And especially like Lois's character and even Perry White, who's the, you know, head of the Daily Planet. Hmm. But these are sold as very like, you know, down and gritty, you know, (laughs) rapist only has one P, like kind of like (laughs) jaded people, but they accept Superman, like a dude in, in blue tights that flies really quickly they're like this is fine right like like no questions <laughs> who's his agent can we get him on the horn you know like they're immediately right um <laughs> and i think that that like reflects a, a a hunger that was happening at the time that also you know yeah. kind of replicated itself in real life to the audience and reception of superman as the film i yeah. definitely uh, will give credit that i don't think that it would have been as uh, successful as it was if it wasn't for Star Wars. Hmm. Star Wars really kind of created the atmosphere for and the the hunger for these types of stories that were fantastical Hmm. and an escape. And again, like recreating the idea of the power fantasy of being a hero, where I think this one deviates is Christopher Reeve's performance and the soft masculinity of Superman, where here's a guy who could, you know, lift a planet, but is... (laughs) really nice and saves cats from trees at the same time. He's and I- strong enough for a man, but made for a woman. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Alex, do you remember secret deodorant commercials? That was I a sure slogan. Do. Yeah, I bet they still use it. This was made for a man, not shoddily for a lady. <laughs> I did. I did feel the big like, especially when we spent time on Krypton. I was like, "Oh yeah, Star Wars." Right. Like, is, yeah. <laughs> like, like Krypton is like a big Death Star model where we do sort of like a lot of like close up shots zooming around. You could feel its indebtedness. I don't know if if that was in place before they were making the movie or what, but I could see people knowing that they could receive this based on what they had seen before. Yeah, and the credits. I, yeah. They're like, you know what people right? love? They love having the credits just shoot towards them. That <laughs> Makes him real excited, so do that. And a John Williams score. Right, I was just going to say the <laughs> iconic score as well. That told you everything you needed to know. And yeah, I believe the like that kind of stark appearance of Krypton, that was the first time it was presented like that. Yeah, it looks like a weird place to grow up. I mean, I was kind of happy for him to get to grow up <laughs> right? amidst corn. <laughs> right. <laughs> trees and i also like that his dad is like bill mckibben like his dad's like uh hey guys uh shit's about to get real and everyone's like nah it's not like it's not don't worry about it and they're like no nah, it's so real i'm gonna send my son off and they're like no nah, it's fine just don't tell anyone and he's like deal Boy, this movie really does have parallels <laughs> it sure does oh and not only that they're like if you say anything to anyone and cause yeah. panic you know you'll get arrested whatnot and yeah so You'll get in some trouble. Mm-hmm. Yes, Superman is a climate change refugee. Yes, without a doubt. So, Gene, what is your, like, why, when it came down to it and you had to make the very difficult decision, you know, if we spend time with Hugh Jackman running about learning how to be a dad <laughs> versus this, why was this a hard decision? Why is this in your heart? Um, I think, I mean, straight up, this was my, this was my origin story as a fan. Mm. Uh 
you know, I would say like, I believe I saw Star Wars before this as a child, but I think that one was like, oh, this is all fun and whatnot. But this one I think was really like the foundation of the idea of somebody who's significantly more powerful than me, but actually takes time to give a shit, which is what I, that's what superheroes are to me. And that's, you know, the foundational idea for me as a, as a fan and especially of this content, that's the perspective that I've took as a child on Batman as well. Here's a guy who could literally buy himself anything, but he goes out at night and helps people instead, you know, we could talk about systemic changes, but but Superman especially, and specifically the performance of Christopher Reeves, uh, like it always strikes me that when Lois asks him when he's in a Superman garb, first time they meet, who are you? And he just says, a friend. And that like the positioning of himself, not as a leader, not as a savior, but just as a friend is really significant and set the foundation for me of my expectations on people with power and people who want to see themselves as heroes. And then also just like, you know, cis white men in general. <laughs> yeah. What do we know about the like societal structure of Krypton? Because his behavior <laughs> and the fact and you, again, all of my information is going to be like fuzzy and like seen through a layer of bacon grease. <laughs> That's all of us, though, really. You know, well, yeah. I mean, we're on like multiple generations of reinterpreting the original material and versions mm. of the original material. So like this is no different than talking about Hercules. Like, yeah, we're actually talking about an interpretation of a mythology rather than the mythology itself, because yeah. it's changing and being reprocessed by culture over and over again. So. I think all of the views are relevant. And I think, you know, even seeing it through Bacon Grease, that's what generations before us thought was valuable and brought forward. So it's still very valid. That's lovely. But the thing that I want you to correct me on if I'm wrong is one of the like things that hasn't been able to metamorphose into a bunch of other stuff, which is that I think Superman, like his two co-creators, one was Canadian and one was Jewish. Yes. Is that right? Yes. So like... He's a socialist. He just is. Absolutely. I mean, we can talk about that. I, you know, I don't think that I know a lot of people talk about like him being kind of a reclaiming of the Ubermensch idea. I haven't found anything mm -hmm. that, you know, corroborates that intention with his creation. But I think it mm. absolutely like his first adventures in the comic books were uh, about holding rich guys responsible for being terrible. Like, I think landowners and landlords and whatnot and you know stopping crime you know violence against women so like and a lot of his stuff was very much informed by a post great depression idea mm -hmm. of like watching out for the people who really struggled which i think is interesting it informs by the time we get to him in this film the generation that he represented as, as a comic book are actually the generation being played as Mon Pa Kent. Right. Which is definitely Silent Generation. Wow. Right. He's a boomer that yeah. was raised by Silent Generation farmers who would have survived scraping by during the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. So, you know, foundational. That, I think that's also part of what I related to, too, because my mother was very much part of that generation that really felt very intimately the sting of the Great Depression of being, you know, they were migrant farmers, but yeah, that whole mm -hmm. Midwestern struggle. So I, I, I think that's interesting in the fact that I think that informs his politics for sure. Was it the New Deal and all of that? I mean, that's mm -hmm. very socialist. And I think that definitely still informs what he has continued to be, at least in this film, of someone who actively cares about everybody. And that's even a line that Lois gives towards the end of the film is that, no, he cares about everybody. Yeah. He also, at some point, like speaking to what is going on in cities at this point, and particularly what's going on in New York, as he says, he says directly in a way that I laughed out loud, you can't solve society's problems with a gun. And I was just like, I was like, boom, like that's, but that's pretty amazing. He's now, like, but also just I'm like, Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But also there's like, there's that for sure. But then there's also like, 
a lot of militant leftists at this point are starting to be like, we got it. Like organizing and nonviolence is not happening. We need to do something. Mm. And I was, I was wondering if on some level we were accidentally or intentionally getting some commentary about that. I don't Mm. know. I didn't read Hmm. up further about it. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think I definitely think it was reacting to some stuff that was happening at the time, especially for like social movements. And we can get into that later with the Native American representation, which is kind of mm, not so great. Mm -hmm. Well intentioned, though, I see that. But I think more of like his position within that about the mugging scene i think his position (laughs) is we're being shown his naivete like the fact that he is bulletproof he can survive that kind of situation but he it's really to me showing how despite being a superman how out of his depths he is and in fact that whole introduction scene of him you know (laughs) spraying himself with seltzer um, after lois shakes it up him accidentally giving her a butt you know smack with his genitals while trying to scoot past her like for me his entire like out of his depths in that situation is to kind of show how disconnected he is from humanity and wanting to be Hmm. connected to humanity but feeling very out of his depths about it i mean and also like reflecting the fact that clark has always been really dorky and not been able to really function around women he likes which is something we see earlier as when he's young talking to lana lang so then we see him in the situation where he literally could be the hero and he's trying to be the kind of hero he wants to be, which is like, Hey, so like his whole thing about like, we can't solve problems with guns. I think his idea is presenting that Mm. earlier type of, I'm going to show empathy to this person. Mm. So he doesn't immediately like punch the dude in the face and call him a piece of dirt. He's like, Hey buddy, like let's talk about this. And I think it is definitely making fun of that, like super square dude. That's like, what can't we just talk and be friends? I think it's also showing how Lois literally has negative fucks to give about anything and will absolutely (laughs) kick a loaded gun out of the way over her purse that has literally nothing of worth in it, except that it's her purse and fuck that dude. Um, And I also really love the security in his own masculinity that not only does he catches the bullet, but he covers it by pretending to faint. <laughs> totally. Right. Which is like a lesson from his dad, right? Like right? earlier in the movie, he tries to showboat his way into popularity and his dad's like, his dad is he sort of talks him out of that feeling compelled by that and explains to him that he's here for a reason or his adopted dad. Right. And that like, mm. and I love the way that he phrases it. It's less about like, we can get the inference that his adopted father thinks that there is this great higher purpose for him but he doesn't say what the purpose is he just says i think it's something more important than being a football star or something like that is what he says which i think is such a great Hmm. which every football star in high school should hear probably right (laughs) you know it's great you can do this but are there better uses of your talents and abilities and the fact that he doesn't tell him what he thinks he should be he just infers that I think there's other things you could do better and then leading Clark to decide what he wants to be, which again, like, you know, a guy that can lift a bus with his pinky wants to be a reporter, Mm. which is also another like super socialist thing to me of like being able to like inform other people, not tell them how to live their lives, but inform them about the world around them so they can make their choices. He wants to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. (laughs) Right? And here's what's happening at the time for that to be so appealing. One, I bet a reporter's making a salary. Two, the newspaper has a chopper. They just have a chopper. That's how good things are going in the news at this time. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's looking great for journalists at this point. The thing hasn't fallen out yet. Yes. My hometown newspaper, every time I see it, it gets smaller, the Oregonian. It used to be, you know, just like every city newspaper, like a big, thick, hoagie. Yes. And I saw a guy reading it in a restaurant the other day, and it was like the size of his palm. (laughs) Oh, physically smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I think every time a newspaper gets infrastructurally smaller, they should have to reflect it in the... That is what's happening. That's why it's so funny and so sad, because like it used to be a normal, like, you know, a folded 
like a newspaper shaped newspaper. And then maybe 10 years ago, they were like, we're going to become we're going to look like an alt weekly now. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer. And now they look like an alt weekly that has been hit by a shrink ray. Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Like all of the time we spend in the planet in a depressing fashion reminds of a time where before you know, the year 2000 hit journalism. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I was thinking while watching this about how newspaper aesthetic is something that you wouldn't necessarily expect to lend itself so well to cinema. And yet clearly it does. And I do think a lot of it is just like the sound of the typewriter. Mm. Yes. Yes. (laughs) On my rewatch, I've, for some reason had ingrained in my mind and it doesn't exist in the film, but I had thought that it was one of the first films that did the spinning newspaper headline thing where you see the spinning newspaper and then it comes close up. Right. And no, it just sees, we see, I think Lex reading the newspaper and we see the headline because he's reading it, which is another movie trope. But for Mm. some reason I, I always associated that spinning newspaper you know, because journalism is such a big part of his story. Yeah. And I guess like it's such a Superman thing to do. I Here's what I also wonder. So like after Lois figures out who he is and my understanding is that like in a lot of Superman's adventures, it's basically like nobody knows but Lois and various supervillains, I guess. And they kind of go around having adventures together. Mm-hmm. And also as a kid growing up in Oregon, I was extremely confused by the existence of Lois and Clark. And also Lewis and Clark took me years to figure that out. (laughs) So my question is like when they're relaxing and having an evening in and like watching Frasier and eating Triscuits, what does Lois call him? Does she call him Clark? Does she call, I would call him Cal, but also he's been called Clark by his parents his whole life. So maybe he likes being called like, how does he identify? Let me, can I just piggyback off on that question before and add more for Gene to answer to? It's yeah. like, I'm, I am, I was genuinely curious about the same and like would love to know, like, are there comic series that have Superman and like kind of like a, like a Pan African thing be like, I have to go back and figure out like what I'm really all about because my history has been erased? Or like, are there series where like he has to reconnect with his Kryptonian existence? Like, what is Superman going through? Yes, 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 yes. Hell yeah. Um, there are versions where he goes by Clark. There's versions where he goes by Kal-El. There's absolutely, I mean, again, we're talking about a living mythology. So we have many different times where he's identifying differently. And then for me, like with the Clark versus Kal-El, I think that's more of a litmus test for the person, you know, what they think he is called hmm. and their perspective on who he is. I was talking with a friend uh, about, you know, doing this and and we talked about cuz she had explained to her husband who is from a who's older than her from a different generation, definitely boomer. She was explaining to him that Clark is the person and Superman's the persona. And he had always perceived it to be different that Clark was mm-hmm. the disguise and Superman's who he is and Hmm. For me, that is the the argument between Clark and Kal-El is like, who is the real person? And I think for me, I always thought of him as Clark, like in the sense of there are a lot of us who either by adoption or identity have a name that seems like it's tied to only one culture, but we still exist in the other Mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. And that likely comes from the fact that I have a very Anglo-Saxon name, but I'm biracial Pacifica. So, you know, I have a name that people will read on paper and will expect an old white lady to walk through the door and I come through the door and I don't look like that. So I identified with the idea that he could still be Clark and still have this other identity. Mm -hmm. And then it's more about who we choose to be within his life as an adult and that Superman's his job but Clark Kent is his passion (laughs) and like that's my idea like he could have chosen to like we saw he went through his you know super bachelor degree era time in the in his (laughs) fortress of solitude he could have gone and done anything and he chose to be a reporter And that that was a a choice that he made and that Superman is a responsibility he feels because of the power he has. But if he could choose, he would be doing, you know, puff pieces about, you know, ugliest cat shows. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I assume it's because, yeah, because he's like, I guess love what the humans are doing. I guess right? I he's a human nerd. He it. loves he all human yeah, stuff. He loves humans. Absolutely. You're like, Clark, you love humans. <laughs> I figured you out. Alex, how do you feel about the fact that um, Superman is shorter than you? <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe he's that tall, actually. When he said he was 6'4", I was like, wow, that's like, you're standing out. I mean, it's if he was like 5'9", I could understand the not seeing Clark thing when you look at Superman, but it's like, <laughs> there are two 6'4 guys that look like that. You know, I, was, I found remarkable, this is a beautiful movie. Like, this is yeah. not just in, obviously, in content and tone, but it is... We haven't talked about the fact that I want to talk about the fact that the story is by Mario Puzo, which mm-hmm. I found. I was like, Fame, a, a well-known scribbler of the time who wrote a little book called The Godfather. I was like, holy shit, what? Right? So there's well, you can tell, right? It's like about being a son right? with a, a really dead dad. And, yeah, I mean, totally. the Marlon Brando part totally. didn't get you. Yeah. Oh, my oh my God. It's so wild. But it's clever in ways I didn't expect it to be because of how like so you know alan moore comes along what like five or six years later and and makes the watchman which is like a yeah. very dark postmodern reimagination of like white heroes arts it's the exact opposite of Ernest, right really an indictment yeah yes totally and so i think in a way i had expected in revisiting this movie for it to be naive and it's not it's extremely clever the fact that it opens up with action comics like it opens up with a hand flipping through the comic where we know superman from but we don't see him on the comic like we learn about him within the story and our narrator is a little boy yeah it's really it's incredibly precious and extremely thoughtful and very very funny all of the shots are gorgeous. All of the special effects, and maybe, I don't know if I was watching a remastered or sort of redone version or whatever, but like all of the special effects hold up in a much, much, much better way than I expected any of them to. It's it's incredible. He looks like he's flying. He really does. There's never a moment where you're watching and you're like, oh, this really wasn't meant to be put in HD. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah. yeah, that man's flying over there. And I'm wondering how much I'm remembering maybe of the series in my brain. Like I watched Superman one through four a lot as a kid. And I'm wondering, like, it feels maybe like three and four were a little shoddily. Like, no, they were after. They were. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's, <laughs> this is like a truly wonderfully made movie. No, absolutely. Uh, like, especially because I believe like the sequences where he's flying after the missile, those are the, and I don't remember the technical name for it, where it's where they have him in front of a screen that's being sure. projected behind him. Mm-hmm. But the movement of the lens gives you that sense that he's flying. And also mm-hmm. like uh, rewatching it again, I'm like, just this and the music, the way it's filmed in the music just always makes me start to tense up. Like I've seen it a million times. I know he catches the missile, but I'm still like, is he going to catch the missile? Is he going to catch the missile? Oh my God. Yeah. But oh, and and a, a random side nerdy thing that John Ratzenberger. Oh yeah. Cliff, of Cheers. Yes. He <laughs> is uh, one of the technicians in the missile. Oh my God. Yes. Anyway. That's amazing. That's wonderful. <laughs> I was amazed a couple of months ago to find out that John Ratzenberger was in The Empire Strikes Back. Yes. He was a guy working on Hoth. And then I like tweeted about it and everyone was like, yeah, we know. And I was like, why? Well, no one tells me about John Ratzenberger's surprising roles. Around like 1982, he also played like a quote punk rocker in Motel Hell. And he already looked like 55 years right? old. Right? Like, I, I think he's just like always looked like that. Yeah, it's it's really great. It was a joy to watch scene for scene and just like on a technical level. And, you know, it's like Richard Donner. I, sh- I guess I should just have imagined that that was going to be the case. But it yeah. is. It's really phenomenal. What else did Richard Donner do? The Goonies. Oh, of course. Right. I don't know what else. No, I know. I'm blanking as well. I'm looking it up because yeah. I feel like people are going to be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, look it up. Look it up. Richard Dunner made the Goonies. Oh, Lethal Weapon, of course. <gasps> Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk. Yeah, he made Lady Hawk. Lady Hawk. The cinematic classic He Lady made Hawk. Maverick. Maverick, everyone's favorite. Yeah, he made some movies. He did it. Lady Hawk had to be a passion project. Oh, screw- Oh my God. Scrooge. He made Scrooge. Scrooge. Scrooge, your favorite. Yeah. With the nipples. With the nipples. 
stapling antlers on mice. (laughs) My favorite Christmas movie with nipples. I think you can really see the stylistic through line between Superman and Scrooge. Yes. They both are like, I feel like equally stylized love letters to New York. Oh, yeah. Well, and also a beautiful blend of two starkly opposing tones yes because it's like you said like there is a lot of really grittiness and i kept thinking about this like the article that lois is typing when clark is introduced she's saying random words and they're all horrific like murder (laughs) and like you said in you know the there's only one p and rapist like so she's reflecting a time in the world where it is grounded in the 70s in that moment of violence and terrible things and here comes clark Clark Kent, you know, who has money set aside from his paycheck for his silver haired mother, widow mother, (laughs) like completely out of time and out of place. So people always want, understandably, for all of the totally understandable reasons people want to talk shit about like how like clickbait is a thing now but it's like Lois is like running an article on like murder and violence in the quote ethnic angle yeah. which she says at some point in order to draw terrified city dwellers in to read more about the horrors of their surroundings so like it's not and that was when the newspaper was at its peak of being well funded yes <laughs> yeah right Lois was writing clickbait no like the media has always been very unethical around anything relating to violence or crime because it's always been clear that like that's how you get people to buy stuff this is yeah we've always known this it's just that there's less money now so we have to know it harder and speaking to what you just said about like about scrooge being totally different and speaking about alan moore earlier like scrooge is kind of like richard donner's like address of like i know that this is not directly what he's doing but like alan moore being kind of like a cynical guy and bill murray in that is extremely cynical and like that's a movie about like a cynical out of touch guy being taught how to be earnest again. Like Richard Donner loves like earnest folks, apparently. As do I. (laughs) Me too. And that's, I feel like (laughs) that's what we're all fucking struggling with online. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that like everyone has almost like gamified how to be extremely clever and extremely on the right side of any issue all the time so that they were never wrong rather than just being like, you know what? People fuck up. People often mean well and they just don't know what they're doing or they're informed by really terrible shit around them. We're all struggling in one way or another to like find a place to be like vulnerable and earnest in a place that feels very, very unforgiving of what happens when you let your guard down. Yeah. Well, and I feel like that is an extension of that cynicism. Like I have a love hate relationship with Alan Moore. I think he's incredibly talented. I love so much of his stuff, but he also feels like I get frustrated with him and that perspective that I see a lot in people who share that, like, you know, the world is shit. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, the world is shit. So pick up a shovel, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> maybe I, you know, yeah. like um, that's beautiful. Right. Like mm-hmm. I feel like that that perspective is very important and that's why I mm-hmm. love his Absolutely. stuff. Yeah. But there is a kind of self-serving nihilism to that cynicism. Right. Yeah. It's like the whole thing that happens in the Watchmen TV show. Like Alan Moore's great. Alan Moore's disciples are all edgelords. Just like with Jesus. You're yes, like, look, totally. the guy is saying some good stuff, but totally. everyone who is obsessed with him is not making sense. Right. Well, not everyone, but most of them. I'm not going to say in the context of the show that like Rorschach was great, but like having a bunch of like Rorschach disciples, bad news. I've never had a good way to like explain the fact that the reason when I read Watchmen that I liked Rorschach was not because of anything about his philosophy. It was the fact that like in a room full of all these super powered people who were just human disasters, he's the only person that was proactive. (laughs) And that that was what I was looking for was someone (laughs) to be proactive. And I'm like, oh, great. I get like the super bigoted, you know, nihilistic (laughs) butthole is the only guy that's going to bother to do shit like seriously. But like at the same time, I'm like, oh, yeah, because this is Alan Moore and he's just paralyzed he's frozen by his own despair Mm. at how terrible Mm. things are and that's one of the things i like about the watchman tv show is that it really takes introducing a black woman to go okay so let's pick Mm. up a shovel and start fixing this shit because 
I still live here. It's been shittier for a lot longer for me, and I'm still here. Right. Well, and I think cynicism is kind of a luxury. Absolutely. Right? Like, you can only afford to be cynical if your current day-to-day life circumstances are at least acceptable to you. And then I feel like Mm -hmm. you can't bask in cynicism if you like really do need to like actively change a lot of what's going on in your life yeah and being surprised is also like i mean you know terribly relevant but you know i am among many other folks who are affected by the overturning of roe versus white who wasn't surprised Mm -hmm. who's seen this coming long Mm -hmm. before the leaks and was just you know i feel like i'm going through 2020 again of like everybody's like what and i'm like dudes (laughs) like this has been coming this has been a problem all these things that we're dealing with right now if anybody had bothered to pay attention we would have known this was was coming and i just want to know what are we going to do like like whatever move your shock aside yeah what are we going to do now because if you're in shock you're probably not shoveling right exactly right Right. you were fine until the shit fell on your shoes (laughs) so for me the thing that i love about this superman in particular is he is drop down into, you know, gritty, horrible humanity. And he doesn't give up any of that earnestness. He actually still does things Mm -hmm. with his power. And he also doesn't see himself above that again, like going back to the a friend line, is that 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 is really, he's not above helping anybody. And he doesn't see himself as superior to anyone. I mean, he's still, Mm -hmm. you know, a young earnest guy so he he definitely thinks he knows what right things are which is part of why he gets trapped by Lex Luthor is that he thinks he knows how to fix all these things because he's very book smart as yeah. you would say Ugh. but you know he doesn't expect people to be bad and he believes people are worth saving and i mean this okay i have three connections to make one Alex and I were just talking about this, I think, in a bonus, is that Seven is a very overrated movie because it thinks it has a lot of stuff to say, and it sure acts like it does, and it, like, carries itself like a very deep text, and then at the end, its moral is, like, people suck, they'll cut off your wife's head, and you're like, oh... Great. I thought there would be more to this, but this is, like, cool. And so we were talking about how the game is really like feels more consistent as a movie because it has all the style and atmosphere and it's like oh yeah we don't really have themes it's just like sometimes assholes have to be taught a lesson and you know live your life or something i don't know yeah just enjoy it (laughs) and then i was also talking to alex in this bonus we recorded about how much i have fallen in love with godzilla i watched the original godzilla the other day and i'm i've become like There was like a viral video when Justin Bieber was new of this like four year old girl who couldn't stop crying because she loved Justin Bieber so much. And that's how I feel about Godzilla. I'm just like, (laughs) I love Godzilla so much. (laughs) And I feel like superhero is like on the Godzilla spectrum where they're both just like innocent creatures who like have no idea what humanity is about, but just like Superman just has a lot better coping mechanisms and he's like running around saving people and Godzilla is running around, you know, destroying cities, but they're both, you know, Superman is kind of like a reverse monster in that way, which is kind of wonderful. Yeah. For me, and I won't like turn this into a thing talking about Thor Love and Thunder, but it's been in my brain. The people need to know at least a little bit about Thor Love and Thunder. Right. It's made me meditate a lot about the idea of modern mythology mm-hmm. and the role gods played in mythology and myth making and how we explain our world and our lives and who we want to be or who we should be. And then how that has been interpolated through superheroes. And to me, my perspective is like, so gods are explaining the world around us. Superheroes are explaining how we want the world to be. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Right. Which we see like in the, like to your seven point, like 
Superman the movie is kind of cops ain't shit for sure like they're shocked to see criminals caught like at some point right. while they're on the way to just go drink which I feel like maybe had a little bit of ethnic stereotyping considering all where, where in all the cops are Irish land but we can talk about that later and also when Superman kind of like gives his mission statement spiel to Lois she her response is you're going to have to fight every elected official in the country so like we live in an America <laughs> that is this one can't fight city hall superman right exactly and and he is referred to at some point by her explicitly as a god so like Mm -hmm. it's not even just like Mm -hmm. you know like metaphor like superman is a god in this movie which is pretty great like in opposition to every power structure that exists here which are all just like definitely not doing their best right Mm -hmm. can i also just say i love the like man from the stars thing like i've heard people mention it as something they find just incredibly cringy and I was shocked that not everybody loved it. I It makes me cry. That's all. <laughs> so, okay, I wanted to mention this, especially because talking about Superman being mm-hmm. a god, because it is very obvious that there are undertones of Christianity in the presentation specifically. Oh, I totally missed that. But like, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Marlon Brando is playing God, yep. sending God. He all but says, I am sending Earth my only begotten son. And okay. that has definitely yep. been talked about and re, you know, replicated even less subtly in other more recent iterations of the character. For my part, I've always seen him or at least his origin story as a play on the Moses mm. story. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And especially totally. his pod, right. you know, looks like a crystal right. version of a reed, co- you know, boat. And to me, like thinking about, you know, obviously it's not a, a perfect one for one, but thinking about who Moses is and what he represented as far as a kind of justice. Yeah. You know, in like a sense of social responsibility that he chooses, even though, you know, he gets born to power and privilege, he starts to recognize that he owes a responsibility to these people who are his people. Yeah. And it just like I, I like that to me. It It is a better parallel than to compare Superman to Jesus, because mm. totally. The whole other situation happening there. To me, this is about he's more of a shepherd than a carpenter, totally. you know, <laughs> to that point that I write it as Moses pretty much throughout, mm. be- largely because of the, you know, space basket. Right, as it the were. space basket. And because Superman's Jewish, right? Like, don't we feel him? Right. right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. right? He's Jewish. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. I don't know. Like, I think as particularly like male directors throughout like the middle part of the 20th century had no idea how to tell a story about a man that didn't have like big jesus illusions in it. Like, they're they just like, i don't know how to do i i technically don't know how to do this i can't make the movie if it can't be jesus a little <laughs> because a lot of those big ass male directors like thought that they were jesus no absolutely <laughs> it's not surprising that they're ideal and that continually you know mm. there is a, an interpretation of superman and superheroes with lots of power as these lone figures of power that are just directly descended from God or a God and, you know, hold themselves above humanity, blah, 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 you know, a lot of shots of them in space looking down on the earth, you know, like, but it's like a great example of how, like, you know, especially in America, how we have taken things that had a lot more depth and dimension and texture Mm -hmm. and made it work to serve nationalism and capitalism and the patriarchy, like Mm -hmm. by taking, you know, a Jewish socialist (laughs) servant of the people and turned him into a penis fantasy yeah totally for totally. Ayn Rand fanboys you know yeah. like mm. and it's hard to open a mega church that has like a that has a couple of Starbucks in it uh, under a god that is uh, messy you have to have a tidy boy who's here to help uh, in order for that to be an appealing thing <laughs> um, which I think this is the thing that I think I said the last time we talked about Superman or that may have put that in your head when thinking about me was that my perspective on Superman and the dynamic that works for him is that Lois is the superhero Hmm. to him. That's right. I remember that. Because she isn't bulletproof. 
And yet she still throws herself into everything. You see, uh, like my favorite examples of this are in the Superman animated series where Lois just does not like she will go for the story and she is nonplussed in the face of terrorists. Like she is funny, smart, sharp, and really definitely you get that feel of that. Like, despite the fact that Superman could do all these amazing things he still doesn't necessarily feel worthy enough of Lois to tell her who he is. So many, I feel like so many good superhero mythologies have to do with like in one way or another. And like super, I feel like Superman probably helped set this is being orphaned, Mm -hmm. right? Is like being orphaned by your parents and then being orphaned by at least one of your adoptive parents and being isolated, being in solitude in this case. (laughs) And looking for some family. And Lois is a superhero in his eyes in a lot of different ways. I feel like because she's like the most human of the humans um, in a lot of like truly beautiful and driven ways. And also because like it is who he sees potentially being like a good fit to be his family. And like that's like something that he is aspiring towards in a really sort of adorable way when you think about the fact that like again he is a god and he's really just wants to be loved absolutely he's just trying to make human connections with other people what a sweet sweetie (laughs) (laughs) all right let's talk about daddies we know that jor-el is one of the several fathers in this movie Mm -hmm. who in your view is the daddy sarah why don't you kick us off Yeah. Christopher Reeve is my daddy because I feel like going into making this movie, everyone had to be very conscious of the fact that they were threading a needle Mm -hmm. and he threads it so beautifully. And I also, you know, he's wonderful in everything. And I also really love him in Somewhere in Time, which came out Uh. right after this and where he also, I think, is able to sort of play the historical love story like with zero cynicism, with total earnestness, and in a way that makes you believe in time travel. My uh, daddy in this movie is Jorel Marlon Brando. It's rare that we see a movie where the father is actually doing his job. <laughs> And here he does it is, uh, you know, is he God to Kal-El's Jesus? Uh, I don't care, but he equips his son with everything he needs to know. He knows that shit's about to go down in his town, so to speak. And he gets the kid out. He sacrifices himself as a means of making everything work out for, well, at least for his son. (laughs) Yeah. He lets his wife die, but he, um, I love it. I love that he does it. And I love that we get Brando doing it. What a, choice to make Marlon Brando the dad and daddy and father in this movie. It is bold. (laughs) Look at how they massacred my boy. (laughs) (laughs) It's beautiful. Gene, who's yours? Okay, I'm going to cheat because I think the dad is Papa Kent and specifically rather than try to dictate and shape who he thinks his son should be, he guides him in the direction, but allows him to decide who he's going to be as a man. Hmm. And so to me, like that's, that's a father, that's a dad, that's an ideal of fatherhood. And then the daddy is Lois, 100%. Because she does all the same things. I mean, you know, without the flying that Clark does is and is so much more savvy to the world and she isn't bulletproof and she doesn't fly but like journalism is her superpower and her ability to still stick with it and to go to you know the great extents to get the right story makes her the daddy a muncie girl (laughs) (laughs) i did want to add one note that i didn't get in before with uh native representation because lois is in california I believe it's California. She's interviewing a Native American representative for a tribe that sold land to Lex as part of this land grab that she's investigating, which hmm. kudos to her. She was already on to what was so suspicious about this dude biting up all this supposedly useless land. And I'd say that like the thing that struck me that uh, is that they have the Native Americans say that the land is useless like, mm. yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah, he probably, does make yeah. like a Custer joke of like, ha white man, all 
sell you something terrible. Ha ha. You know, I mm. get that. But uh, yeah, so like a little, but also it's 78. This is pretty common. There's a lot of really mixed reaction because there's a lot of Native American activism happening at this time. And I thought it was mm-hmm. an interesting loop in since Marlon Brando right. in 73 had Sachin Little oh, Feather yeah. except his Oscar for The Godfather. Which John Wayne was stoked about. Oh, dude. Well, and because at that time she was specifically did it because there was the standoff at Wounded Knee that happened mm-hmm. in 73. And then also the yeah. claiming of Alcatraz by the Indians of all tribes. And they occupied Alcatraz from 69 to 71 as well. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of and that was just two things that I remembered off the bat that were happening in the 70s that mm-hmm. were kind of reshaping mm-hmm. and made you know public opinion about native americans kind of mixed so i can see like that was an attempt to kind of be like haha he's getting one over on the white man but it kind of comes off weird so i had to say that sure and also like it feels like it's a comforting fantasy for white audiences because it like feels like you're on his side but he's also being like yeah i don't really want this land it's fine right and then also like you could easily flip it and say oh he's so foolishly bought into lex's that rich white man's idea you know and oh and i just also wanted to mention the fact that christopher reeve was 25 and margot kidder was 30 holy shit oh wow and that i am here for everything about that dynamic of lois being older than clark and having more experience on many levels and that's just you know yep and she smoked way more cigarettes than way more yes Jean, how, how can people find you? Uh, you can find me at fangirlgean, J-E-A-N-N-E dot com, or usually I'm on Twitter uh, under the same name, fangirlgean. Excellent. Well, thank you for being here. We love you so much, and it's always a pleasure to spend time with you. Thank you. I love this. I always love the opportunity to talk with you guys and see your beautiful faces and go off on tangents. <laughs> our favorite yes and carry us through the sky on tangents (laughs) as we say poems in our heads in a voiceover thank you so much all right everybody that is it for this episode of you are good thank you so much to carolyn kendrick for producing the episode thank you to miranda zickler for editing the episode thank you to fangirl gene for talking with us about superman Thank you for listening to the episode. If you listened on Patreon or on Apple podcast subscriptions and heard the longer director's cut, thank you for supporting us in that way. If you're just uh, listening on the main feed, thank you for supporting us that way. Thanks for letting everyone know that you love the show. Thank you for writing a uh, review on Apple Podcasts and leaving, uh, you know, hopefully five stars. We appreciate you doing that there. And thank you, of course, to Fresh Lash for providing the beats that make the transitions on the show sound so great. We really appreciate you, Lesh. Thank you to Multitude for handling our ad sales. If you think that uh, your brand should support this show um, because it makes sense for what we are and for what you do, get in touch with the folks at Multitude. All right. If you're uh, keeping track at home, we're going to cover Stand By Me for next week. We're going to do it page to screen, which means we'll talk about the novella a little bit as well. And that's it for this week. We appreciate you. Thanks uh, for being great. You are good, my friend.